Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us your thoughts. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Got a busy man in the studio with me today. His name is Chris Stewart. Chris in town and uh, graciously agreed to spend a few minutes with me today on the radio show. We'll be taking some phone calls, talking with Chris about policy. But obviously right now, Chris, on everyone's mind is what's uh, going on in Eastern Europe right now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's obviously the greatest concern that we have. It's something we've anticipated for several months. Uh, but before we get down to serious business, okay. Andy, thank you for giving me the opportunity to come in and meet with you. And, uh, and I love being on your show. I look around at your office. I see the things you have on the wall. And I think this is this is a man I, I, I'm honored to call a friend. So thank you. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. I, uh, I love the, the, the fact that you're an author as well. And, and not just serious, like nonfiction stuff, but, uh, but uh, some novels that are yeah. really fun and, and neat to get into and been able to read some of your books. Yeah. I know my dad's a big fan as well. Well, well and, and I didn't, I, I, I would have forgotten to bring this up but uh, uh i actually have a book came out, book? Came out a couple weeks ago and you wrote it with your brother is that right uh with with, with my son your son uh, yeah, oh wow the interesting reason for that is uh i mean this is this book we talk about some of the most sensitive stuff in our in our intelligence or in national security we talk about quantum computing and artificial intelligence and bioweapons and he's a he's a surgeon and he's a great writer but i wanted to be able to say if there was any question i didn't write that part i didn't want them to say hey you violated national security by writing this uh, and for me to be able to, with real confidence, say, no, I didn't do that. We found that at open sourcing. That's some that my son did. So um, anyway, final fight for freedom. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. But I know that's not why we're here. Let's, let's talk about Ukraine then. Well, re- really cool, though, that uh, you, you got the new book out. In fact, I, I should have I should have gotten one and had you sign it for me while you were here. I forgot oh, about that. Oh, my gosh. But, we'll get you one. <laughs> thanks, Gary, too, for coming by. Gary Webster's here. We don't give him a microphone, though. We're going to keep him quiet over yeah. there. Uh, again, uh, Chris Stewart, Congressman from the state of Utah, representing us uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, we're all worried about Ukraine. And, and, and I, I, I have had a few people say, well, that's way over there. What do I care? But I think most, most people realize that uh, if a butterfly flaps his wings in the Ukraine or wherever, it is, it does affect us from in anything from the price of gas to just uh, everyday peace. And, and uh, so, Chris, what, what's your take on what's going on over there and what can we do about it? Well, let me start out by saying I would never support and we will not have U.S. soldiers fighting Russia in Ukraine. We're not yeah. going to send Air Force. We're not going to send air assets. We're not going to engage against Russia and we shouldn't. And, and honestly, Andy, if we'd, if we'd been more aggressive in this, I don't think we would have been to this point. And, I, and I'll explain why I think that's true. If the president had taken one position, it would have made a difference. But to your question now, well, what does this mean for us? And, you know, we have this really delicate needle to thread in the sense that uh, as a member of the military, we are more aware than many the saying we can't be the world's policeman. We no. see firsthand the price, the blood, uh, the loss of loved ones, the loss of national treasure and national assets, etc., when we try to do things that are very, very difficult around the world, Afghanistan and Iraq are the most recent examples of that. And I get that. I understand that. And I agree with that. On the other hand, you just can't shrug your shoulders and say, well, it's in Ukraine. What difference does it make to us? Right. Because one of Vladimir Putin's goals is to diminish the United States. It's to diminish and weaken the very idea of democracy and freedom. He wants to look and point to the United States and, and, and show other people around the world, saying, look, this is what real leadership is. Look towards me. Hmm. The President Xi as well in China. If you want to see real leadership, look at me. If you want to see 
Fekel, Fekel's leadership and weak leadership, look at the United States. And so we have to realize that we have responsibility to defend the idea of democracy and freedom. Uh, and, and it will have repercussions for us. As you mentioned, Annie, the price of fuel, obviously, is one of the, one of the first that people think about. Many analysts think that the price of oil is going to go to 140 maybe $150 a gallon. It's about 100 a barrel right now. Yeah, yeah, yep. And by the way, if you want to help Vladimir Putin, then drive up the price of oil. And that's what this president has done. Uh, from the first day he came in office, literally the first day, that's when he signed the executive order killing Keystone Pipeline. Yeah. He's demonized the oil and gas industry. He's he's put pr- financial pressure on financial institutions not to work with them, not to loan them money. Uh, and then, of course, cutting down or, or cutting off oil exploration and development here in the West and up in Alaska. And, you know, then so we he's in a position now where he's actually helping Vladimir Putin. Heavens, Vladimir Putin is financing his invasion in Ukraine with oil dollars. Um, so price of oil and energy is obviously one of them. You're going to have, did you see the video? I'm sure you have of, you know, hundreds of thousands of cars headed towards the yeah. Polish border. They're getting out. There's going to be millions of refugees in Poland and throughout the rest of Europe now. And then finally, this last thing, and it shows you how interconnected this, how delicate this is. There are some studies that say between three and 400,000 <clears throat> children will starve to death this year. Because of the spike of, of energy wow. and, and, the, and the decrease in food production globally. And when people are living on the margin, when they're living on a dollar a day, and the price of a, of a bushel of grain goes from 4 to $8 a bushel, which it's at 7 now, they don't go and pay $8 for the bushel. They go and buy $4 worth of grain, and they just eat less. And, uh, I mean, those are the realities that we're living with because of this invasion and this KGB thug. And that, that's all he is. He's very, very smart, but he is a KGB thug, Vladimir Putin, because of his uh, just malicious adventure into Ukraine, where for the first time in two generations we have, you know, a, 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 a meaningful land invasion in Europe. The, the take I think the every man has, and this is kind of how I've thought about it, maybe you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, is uh, Vladimir is a, is a product of the old Soviet Union. And Putin wants the glory days back. Yeah. And this is maybe the first step in getting those back. Is that pretty close to accurate? Well, it is. You're exactly right in the sense that he wants those glory days. I mean, he has said, and I think, Andy, you and I have talked about this. He has said the greatest catastrophe of the of the last century, it wasn't World War II, which you know killed between 75 and 80 million people. It wasn't the Holocaust. It wasn't. Anything else, the greatest catastrophe in his mind of the last century was the fall of the Soviet Union. And he has said that again and again and again. And he says, we will rebuild it. Now, uh, I don't think he's going to go into Poland. I don't think he's going to go into Latvia. Not now. He may in the future, because if you'd ask a lot of people two years ago, do you think Vladimir Putin will invade Ukraine? Most people would have said no. So uh, we can't predict what he'll do, you know, two years or five years from now. I don't think at all it's imminent that he will expand into other European countries now. But this is the first step. And this is an incredibly important thing for his appetite. His his uh, risk tolerance in Ukraine is enormous. Um, and, you know, we've been saying for for several months he's going to do this. He has now. And, uh, and now we've got to do the best we can to deal with the repercussions from it. Will we be able to stop him diplomatically with sanctions and things like that? Or is he not going to stop until somebody actually stands up militarily to him? Well, I think, Andy, the 
that depends on what you mean by stop him. If you mm-hmm. mean can we stop him in Ukraine, obviously can't. We're not going to. And 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 I have said a thousand times, sanctions will never be sufficient. There's no historical example you can turn to where in in a meaningful global potential conflict, sanctions ever dissuaded someone. They just haven't. Uh, and that, that's proven true again, which is why, to the point I was going to make earlier, if this president, and I've been asking for this for two months, for the president to say the one thing that Vladimir Putin is afraid of, and it's only one thing, it's not sanctions, it's not you know, American troops in Poland, it's not really the financial uh, repercussions of being expelled from SWIFT, which would, be, which would be meaningful for them, but they've already found workarounds. The only thing Vladimir Putin is afraid of is a long and protracted, protracted, bloody insurgency as they occupy Ukraine. It's day after day, week after week of Russian soldiers being killed. He learned that lesson in Afghanistan. He does not want to repeat it, and the Russian people won't support him if that, if that occurs. And it's almost certainly going to occur now. And if this president has said, we will arm and train a resistance, we and our NATO allies, and if he brought, brought along our friends, say, we will arm and train and equip freedom fighters in Ukraine. I think we could have had Vladimir Putin not not take this action he's taken. Mm-hmm. Again, it's the one thing that he's truly afraid of. You and I grew up in the Cold War, uh, you know, the the seemingly imminent threat of, of nuclear war at, at any time. Uh, we learned to um, kind of almost hate the Soviet Union uh, and, and the Russian people. I don't know if hate is the right word because that's a pretty harsh word. But we we had a distrust and a dislike of, of the uh, Soviet Union. And in most of our minds, that meant Russia. Uh, in recent years, in the last few decades since the Cold War ended, they've almost sort of become friends and, and allies. And it, it seems like Putin is maybe trying to resurrect that enmity between the two countries and, and, and really the rest of the world. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great point, and the historical perspective on that is important at this point. And, and we went through this a bit of a, actually a complete 360. Uh, you know, we, as you said, we view this, the Russians, the Soviet Union, as, you know, adversaries, enemies. They were the bad guys. They were yeah. bad guys. I mean, every, every Hollywood movie, every book, it was mm-hmm. always the Russians. And that is, again, the time that we grew up. Then the fall of the Berlin Wall, the fall of the Soviet Union, and we thought, these guys are great. They're our friends. They're our buddies. But I can, pr- I can promise you this. The Russian leadership never felt that way. Wow. They never, ever felt like they would be uh, aligned or we would be true allies with the West. They just haven't. And it, it was never in their interest. The Russian people, interestingly, and I've been to Russia before, and I, and I think I have a, you know, a fairly good understanding of the Russian people, um, and that is they wanted to embrace the West. They wanted to have this, this friendship. But then after probably 10 or 11 years, and when Vladimir Putin came back as president a second time, he actually poisoned them on that. And most of the Russian people now don't view the United States as a friendly nation. Hmm. Uh, they've kind of come back to the old Cold War way of thinking as well. Not just the leadership, but many of the Russian people, and I would argue the majority of the Russian people, don't view us as friends or allies. And, and so they're not nearly as accommodating to some of Western principles now as, as we would expect, which is why the Russian people will support Vladimir Putin going to the Ukraine because they feel like it weakens the West and they're they're supportive of that idea now. It is some of that our fault from the progressive thinkers in this country have changed some of our traditional values, at least seemingly probably to the outside world. Yeah, there's, there's no question that that's true. Vladimir Putin is, as I said, he's very, very smart and he's been able to take some of the cultural issues that have divided the West and point to that and say, look at the divisiveness for one thing. And then also say, look at the immorality. 
Look mm-hmm. at look at the uh, you know some of the just uh, extreme positions that some of the Western leaders have taken. Uh, by the way, if you look at uh, the Prime Minister in Canada in the last week or ten days with the truckers and the oppression that he's put down on them, Vladimir Putin looks to that and he says to his own people, "Who's the tyrant here? Yeah. Is it me or is it Western leaders?" And uh, you know that's why it's so disheartening and just so frustrating. I mean, I, someone asked me, you know, as the week of the Super Bowl, they said, who are you cheering for? And I said, the, uh, the Canadian truckers. Uh, <laughs> because, I mean, we're cheering for those guys. And the way that uh, Trudeau treated them was, you know, like you would expect uh, Putin to treat him. And he, again, he goes to his own people and says, see, I'm not the tyrant. The Western leaders are the tyrants. Well, I remember when that was uh, before, before they started breaking it up, all the Canadians saying, well, this won't end like that. That's that's not Canadian yeah. for you know for for them to send the troops in and pull those guys out of their trucks. That's that's not Canadian. Well, and how shocking was it for all of us? And by mm. the way, we should probably take a lesson from that because I'm not saying President Biden would do that, but I can promise you mm. there are leaders in Washington who would. They absolutely and and some of them were were secretly cheering on and and not even secretly. Uh, many Democratic leaders were openly supportive of Trudeau and the, and the extreme steps he took. We've got you've got about ten or twelve minutes left with us. I want to make sure we give some folks the opportunity if they want to call and ask Chris Stewart a question. Six seven three five eight ninety is the studio line. We will take your call. Also take text if you want to text me. I've got my cell phone right here four three five four six seven five eight four two. We'd love to hear from you. I actually had a couple of people with handwritten requests, and it's behind me. And I'll get in get it in a second. Um, is there? In your position, are you under a microscope? Everything you do, every move you make from how you brush your teeth, is it under scrutiny all the time, Chris? I mean, to a certain degree. I mean, I'm not like uh, I'm not like some, you know, some more other members who who are, you know, more in the media spotlight. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you just have to realize, uh, you know, when we go to a restaurant that, you know, there's a 50-50 chance that someone will come up and you know, start yelling about something or, or, you know, sometimes people come up and say, Hey, you, you're doing a nice job. And, uh, I mean, I started going to home Depot cause that's what I love to do on the weekends is work in my yard and fix up my house. And, All right. and uh, you know, for a while there I'd wear a baseball cap and dark glasses cause I was always accosted at home Depot. Um, and, and it's unfortunate in the sense that, uh, again, a lot of times the people who come and talk to you are people who are really angry about something and, and I understand. And I feel like, Hey, I have to give them a chance to express themselves to me. But I start to say the unfortunate thing is, is you know, we've, our society has just become more and more accepting of really, really noxious public dialogue and, and you know, yeah. not treating people with, uh, with any, you know, any degree of compassion or understanding. And, and, uh, but it's just kind of the, the world we live in now. My, my dad was a TV weatherman, so I remember as a kid going to restaurants and people coming up to my dad all the time, and I didn't understand why. You know, I was just a little kid. It was in Las Vegas and then later on in Salt Lake, but I just remember that was really strange. But it's funny. They would always start with an apology. Hey, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Mr. Yeah. Griffin, but yeah. uh, I don't, they don't even apologize anymore. So. Yeah, but I, but I have to say, when people come and talk to me, and whether they're angry or not, I always say, hey, I'm glad to talk to you. Thanks for saying hi. Uh, I mean, I'm honored that they would say hi to me, so... Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Vic is on line one. Hey, Vic, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing great. Better than they are in Ukraine, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, the sad part is that Democrats will never admit they're wrong. And I think we're in a terrible position because, one, when the administration came in, they let it be known. It was known ahead of time, but they really showed what they, uh, what they were thinking when they shut down the oil industry, you know, their hatred for fossil fuel. 
And now that we really need to get this energy system up and running again to protect us from these outrageous prices that are going to be happening now, the gas or fossil fuel industry is saying, well, listen, we know they want to shut us down. Why should we go ahead and reinvest millions and millions of dollars again, knowing that we're going to get shut down again? I, I just think we're in a terrible position. I just wonder what the congressman's uh, view was on that. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and it's so self-inflicted. And, you know, one of the things I talk about in my book is this idea of national suicide. Abraham Lincoln and Ronald Reagan and many of our other leaders said, and I completely agree with them, no nation will ever destroy or occupy the United States. The only way we fail is if we kill ourselves, if mm. we commit national right. suicide. Within. And, and that's, that's kind of what we're watching with some of these things. I mean, it makes no sense at all. It was this, this miracle for the United States to become not only energy independent, but a an exporter of oil. So we were in the position to go to Germany and say, no, don't build the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. We'll sell you the gas. We'll sell you the oil. We weren't able to convince them, which I think is ridiculous on their leadership, but, but it shows you the position we were in. And within six months... This president came down and shut this thing off to the point where he now has to go to OPEC and beg them to increase production. Uh, I mean, it's just foolishness. It's beyond foolishness. And, and as I said earlier, if you want to help Vladimir Putin, we'll drive up the price of energy, drive up the price of oil. And that's what we've done here. And it's taken one of the most potent tools that the president could have had, and it took it completely off the table. One of the questions, actually a handwritten question, is right on that topic. Said if the Republicans take back the Senate and or the House in the upcoming election, will they likely loosen up some of the regulations from the Biden administration has put in place when it comes to the uh, oil and, yeah. and the pipeline? I think the president is going to have to respond to that effort. I mean, it, it, normally I would say, look, uh, we'll have the House and the Senate, but uh, but we have the filibuster in the Senate still, and thank heaven we do. Uh, people sometimes say to me, hey, I'm praying for you. I say, no, pray for Senator Manchin. Pray for Senator Sinema, yeah. right? Yeah. Because I uh, thank heaven those guys stood up to some of this nonsense. Uh, but, you know, so we are going to take the House. I mean, I- I'm, I'm so confident we take the House. And I'm increasingly confident we take the Senate, as are many, many people. At that point, the good news is we can stop some of the very worst ideas and some of the very worst appointments. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I'm going to go meet with some bankers after this. The president has appointed avowed Marxist to oversee our financial system. I mean, people who hate banks, who hate capitalism, who hate for the free markets. So we'll be able to stop some of that. But it's going to be hard for us to, you know, directly to your question, Andy, it's going to be hard for us to put forth a Republican agenda, and the president's not going to sign that. We will be able to chip away at some of these regulations, and the reason being that the president is going to play a political price. And he wants, whether himself or a Democrat, to be reelected in 2024. And he knows that they're paying extreme price for this. I mean, the, what, the policies that he's done to drive up the price of energy is affecting every American, and it's affecting the middle class and the poor Americans way more than it affects the elites in D.C. And so I think he's actually going to have to respond to Republican initiatives to deregulate some of these industries again and to open up the markets. We have one of the big issues in St. George, and I know this doesn't directly affect you, but, but certainly on your radar, the, the problem with water. And we have this, you know, the Lake Powell pipeline proposed. We have the, uh, they call them the basin states who don't want us to take water that technically, officially should be our water. At what point, Chris, are you going to have to get involved in this, or oh, are you? Oh, oh, wow, are we involved with this. Are you? Oh, okay. yeah, from the very, very beginning. And we spend more time on this than you can imagine. Whether it's uh, whether it's working on the Lake Powell pipeline directly, you mm-hmm. know, trying to push the uh, 
the agencies, the regulatory agencies, the approval agencies to move that process along, and we've, we have been able to push them to move it along. Uh, or whether it's uh, the Virgin River uh, Fish Plan, which is a, an important initiative to protect and to enhance the water out of the Virgin River. Uh, whether it's another piece of legislation, we, we uh, put forward Water ET, which is kind of complicated, but it has to do with, uh, to your point, Andy, about, well, how do, we, uh, how do we allocate the water now? And one of the ways we have to do that is we have to know how much water there actually is. And this legislation deals with being able to uh, uh, approximate way more accurately how much water there is and where that water should go. So, no, I, I can't tell you the amount of time that I and my staff have spent working on southern Utah issues, but the most important probably, along with the tortoise habitat, and Northern Corridor, but you know certainly the water is is the very top of the list. Let's go back to the phone line. And, 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 and by oh, the way, really quickly, on. I mean I grew up yeah. farming and ranching. You know that. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, it hurts me to see this drought. I mean, yeah. uh, my family's still ranching. Every time I look at the weather forecast, I see 14 days of no rain. It just hurts. I mean, we we really are in the middle of a, a very painful drought. Unfortunately, we got a little bit yesterday. Thank you. Yeah, goodness, but, yeah. In uh, Central Utah, got quite a lot. Thankfully. All right, let's go to the phone lines. Hey, thanks for calling. You're on with Andy and with uh, Congressman Stewart. Yeah, I, in regards to what the previous caller said about gas, but I'm also wondering, we put so much time and energy in what's going on in Russia, but we don't, all, everybody is in the news 24 hours a day about what's going on in Russia, but we don't talk about what's going on in our own borders. I'm very, I guess, angry, so to speak. Even our own Congressman, um, Nick Romney, our Brandon, uh, he gives his name in the paper because he talks about Russia, but he doesn't say anything about what's going on on our borders. Why aren't we addressing what's going on here in the United States instead of worrying about a, a country that's not even part of NATO, and yet we put our time and energy and money into doing what they're helping them, but yeah. not our own country. Just, just some thoughts there. No, no, I, I actually agree with you. And I, and we held a town hall here last night and had hundreds of people there. And that was a sentiment for most of them. And I agree with that completely. The thing is, is it's not a one or the other. It's not an either or. We really have to deal with both of them. Yeah. And, and, and what we've watched on our southern border, I, I use the, the phrase national suicide. I, I mean, it's inexplicable how this president has just simply opened up our, our border. And so if you worry about fentanyl, if you worry about human trafficking, if you work about se- if you worry about sexual exploitation, I mean the border is essentially controlled by the cartels and I mean that literally. Uh and more than 2 million people, which is, you know, more than the, the entire population of Idaho, more than the pop- entire population of Montana and Wyoming. Wow. 2 million people who have crossed this border illegally in the last year. And again, it's inexplicable to me that this president just says, yeah, we don't care about that. That's fine with us. Uh, I can't imagine. It's one of those times you look at uh, some of my Democratic colleagues and you just say, do you not understand at all what this means to our country? Do you not care? Or do you understand and you actually want this outcome? Are you actually trying to destroy our country? Uh, And the southern border is no better example of that, this idea that some people actually want to tear our country down and start over. And so the caller says, well, I'm a little bit angry about it. And, uh, man, do I understand that? I've been to the border. I can't tell you how many times. And it it, it is unbelievable to me that this administration just says we're going to open up our southern border. And people say, well, what are the Republicans doing? Here's the reality is in the minority in the Senate, there's very, very little we can do other than talk about it and then try to restore some of that funding once we get the majority back. Let's go back and demand that we that we fund the wall and some of these other, uh, you know, the uh, Customs and Border Patrol and others that, you know, desperately need help down there. I bet they feel pretty helpless, a lot of those guys Can you down imagine? There. Yeah. 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 
frustrating. All right, let's, let's see if we can get one or two more calls in before you have to go. Uh, hey, thanks for calling. You're on with Andy with uh, Congressman Stewart. What's up? Morning, Chris. Morning, Andy. This is Don from Santa Clara. Morning, Don. Uh, I, I say when it comes to land rights, just deploy Malloy. Uh, put her to use for Utah state rights. I, I think it's an amazing pick that you were able to get her as, as part of your, your cabinet. But also, I, I mean, I, I'm highly, highly frustrated at what the Democrats are doing on our national security issues and how they're locking out a Republican congressman who actually have clearance, who ha- should have insight into what's going on, and they're being completely locked out so they can push their own agendas that have nothing to do but destroying America. And I just, I'm really wondering if, if the, the Republicans are finally getting in their gut now that this is something that, you know, we need to treat them as proper adversaries on the Democrat side when it comes back the other way. It's time to basically say no more nonsense. It's time to actually get back on with the, with the Americans' uh, issues. Yeah, listen, Don, and, and appreciate you calling. I recognize your voice and your good friend. Um, hey, look, I'm willing to compromise on what you think the corporate tax rate should be. I'm willing to compromise on how much money we should spend on public lands in the EPA. But that's not what we're talking about right now. Right now we're talking about, well, are you going to compromise on the Bill of Rights? And what am I supposed to say? Hey, I tell you what, we'll give you uh, the second and the fourth if you'll let us keep the rest. <laughs> there are some things that you just simply can't compromise on. And right. that's where we are at now with, the, with many of our Democratic colleagues. They're not talking about compromisable positions on these, some of these other things. They're actually attacking what it means to be America. They're actually attacking our history, saying America has always been evil. They're trying to teach our kids that America has always been evil. I mean, for heaven's sakes, you have to be ignorant of history to take that view. And and that's why there's so much division and contention right now, because these aren't just minor or trifling issues. These are conflicts over the very heart and soul of America. And, Don, I completely agree with, you know, the the sentiment of your question. Uh, We just simply cannot compromise this way. We have to stand up and say we will fight on these issues. Chris, we're on a tight schedule. I'm told you've got to go now, and I know you've got to, like 87,000 appointments. So, But thank you so much for coming on today. Always a pleasure, my friend. It's an honor. It's fun to talk to your viewers or your listeners, too. Let's do it again, Andy. Thank you. Anytime you want to come to town, well, let's get together. Thanks, right. Chris. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate uh, you setting, uh, helping set all this up. It's 932 on KDXU. We'll step aside for a weather break and be back with more after this. News Radio 890, 92.5 KDXU. Andy Griffin and Troy Paul here. Talking barbecue, our favorite topic, as always, Troy. And I guess you have a few questions for me, huh? I do, yeah. (laughs) I'm always telling people, here's what I like to cook. Mm -hmm. I think what everybody wants to know is, what do you like to cook, and how do you do it? You know, a few years ago, maybe two, it was right after you and I met, uh, uh, and you opened your store, I'd stop by a local grocery store, and I came across something called a turkey tenderloin. And I'm like, well, right. what is that? I, I'd never had it before. I didn't buy it at the time. Mm-hmm. But a friend had asked me if I would smoke some turkey for him for Thanksgiving. I'm like, yeah, sure. I was going to spatchcock it, whatever. Well, he shows up with two turkey tenderloins and says, hey, will you smoke these for me? And I was like, oh, okay, I've never done that before, yeah. but I'll look it up, and I'll call Troy, and hey, what do I do with this thing? And <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it, it turned it turned pretty magical. And I've actually come to really love turkey tenderloin. One of the great things about it, it's like a three-hour smoke. Now, if you're talking, you know, you know, pork butt or brisket or whatever, you're talking 12, 16, 18, 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Three-hour smoke is really short. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I remember you telling me about that because I know that you're a big turkey guy. Yeah, I love so you're turkey. always talking about yeah. whenever you can. It's like, oh, I want to do turkey this, turkey that, <laughs> and that's that's cool. But um, when you started talking about this turkey tenderloin, I'd never done one before. Yeah, I'm like I don't even know where the loin of the turkey is. I, I don't. How, I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, of course, there's pork loins, and that's uh-huh. going to be similar. So if you like um, same, something, same cook, something yeah. a little bit smaller that's going to cook um, a little quicker than the pork loin is great. But you've had really good success with turkey loin. What do you put on it? Now, it takes really good to flavors, and that's one of the things I like about turkey is you can kind of, it, it, it's an open palate. You can yeah. make it anything you want. It, it, it absorbs the smoke really well. You have a good smoke flavor. And then, uh, you know, I, I'm so partial to the uh, Jolly Rogers Loot and Booty. Yeah. Uh, I put that on there often if I want. One of the little secrets I found, I think Yori actually told me this, Yori Ludvig, Ludvigson, our friend, and it, yeah. uh, he has this powdered, uh, Frank's Red Hot. Oh, sure, yeah. And I'll put just a little teeny bit of that before I put on the Jolly Roger, the Luton Which is Booty. a garlic jalapeno. Yeah, rub. so it yeah. has just a little kick to it, and I found that to be the best flavoring for it. And then, of course, then I'll pick up my favorite sauce at the barbecue pit stop and dip it, too. Of course, you're a big sauce guy also. So, <laughs> all right, there it is. Andy's favorite thing to cook, the turkey yeah, tenderloin. turkey tenderloin. Barbecue tip from Troy at Barbecue Pit Stop. I'm Andy, Andy Griffin Show. Thanks again to Chris Stewart for coming in in studio. I think it's the second time in three years now he's been able to come in. Had him a lot, had him on the phone a lot, but uh, second time in studio. Chris is a good guy. Think about his storied career and, you know, fighter pilot, helicopter rescue pilot, done so many great things. Now a congressman for the United States. Uh, all right, we have uh, on the phone line Rick Rosenberg, Santa Clara City. What's up, Rick? Well, just, uh, you know, trying to muddle through a Thursday, Andy. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. I'm about to lose my voice. I was thinking, I was telling you before we went on the air, I'm like, might have to have you carry the show a little bit because uh, I'm running out of gas as far as uh, my vocal cords. But, uh, Rick, you had the opportunity yesterday to give the State of the City address for Santa Clara City. Uh, how did that go for you? Good crowd. What was it, what was it like? And uh, were you a little bit nervous? Uh, you know, it was a it was a good crowd. It's, it um, the chamber came out. We hosted it in the banquet room at town hall, and we had a, a full house. They basically set up some extra tables after it got started. Um, things went well. Um, it was a, a friendly crowd, which I always appreciate, and. Um, I, I got to brag on the city for, you know, 45 minutes or so, which is <laughs> always a good time for me, and uh, and things went well. We uh, we talked about some of the goals that we've got going this year um, out there, some goals that, that I've, I'm trying to push a little bit. Um, I want to build resi- more resilient community, um, a community that's more resilient to the uh, you know future flooding and landslide stuff that we've had a lot of in the past. Um, more resilient to you know soil instability. More resilient to drought and water shortage. Um, we're trying to be re- more resilient to you know power service interruptions. More resilient to transportation gridlock. Um, you know just trying to improve the quality of services that we can provide to our residents out in Santa Clara. Um, and some of the ways the city's working to do it right now, we uh, we approved the the new landscape and water conservation ordinance last night at city council. Um, I know we're one of the first communities down here to actually get it on the books. A lot of them are, most of them, I think, are 
are getting ready to approve some form of the ordinance to try and reduce the outside water use for new development within the city and put limitations on what they can do. Can you tell us about some of the specifics of that ordinance, what what it entails, and, and what in, what kind of enforcement there is with it? The uh, I mean, it's basically they're limiting the the lawn areas on the lots based on lot size. Um, we are putting in or encouraging, uh, you know, water uh, efficient trees and water efficient landscaping to go in there. Uh, there are some uh, water conservation uh, type facilities inside the home, like recirculating hot water uh, pumps. Um, we're limit. We're trying to get, and you probably you've heard this a dozen times now. We're currently the the state uh, mandates that we have 0.89 acre feet per connection mm-hmm. to use. Um, the city of Santa Clara currently is is using about 0.86, so we're fairly high. Uh, we've got a long ways to go to get to the um, the the goal of trying to get to 0.55 acre feet per home, and so we've got you know ways to go. We do have some advantage you know going forward with the amount of secondary irrigation that we have available out there to be able to make conversions. Um, the city converted 70 acres of lawn area inside our public parks and public um, owned properties last year from culinary water to secondary water. Uh, we're working with the school district um, to try and they're probably our biggest user right now of culinary water mm-hmm. to get them to convert. And we may have to expand the secondary system to facilitate that, but we're We've expanded um, the secondary system uh, within some of the large lot areas of the city. We've also expanded it up in the heights so that secondary water can be provided to some of the new townhome projects north of Harmons. Um, and the new solace subdivision north of Harmons will be on secondary. Uh, we're making those conversions. And all of the we put a pending ordinance in place last September where all the new projects that we've approved since September are subject to this new ordinance we approved last night. And so it kind of goes retro back to yeah. um, some of the newer projects will have to meet the, the standards that have been set in this ordinance. Um, we're trying to get all the new development down, and then we're going to be incentivizing the, the existing residents, um, encouraging the conversion to secondary where it's available, and possibly buyback programs. We're hoping that the water surcharge fees that are that are starting to be collected now that we can turn those those fees right back into incentives for for property owners who want to uh, remove some of their their lawn. Um, we don't want to you know convert the the city over to just a rock landscape. We value the trees. We value the the greenery and and some of the landscaping. We're just trying to take the you know, the turf that's not being, or the lawn that's not being used for, you know, active recreation and, and convert it primarily so that someone can still have a, uh, a small section of lawn for their, their kids to play in the backyard, maybe preferably. Um, so you've got some lawn to be able to provide the quality of life that the residents want. You still be able to keep the trees to avoid creation of the heat plume and let kind of the tradition. I can't imagine Santa Clara without any trees. Um, we're known for the trees out yeah, there. Yeah, be- so. beautiful. Yeah, Santa Clara Drive, beautiful with the trees. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep the allowance for the trees and and try and whittle down our outside use to make our culinary use go farther. Um, we've 
and you're, we've talked about this before, that Santa Clara is basically landlocked, and, and we can see everything, pretty much every property in town has sought some type of entitlement except for one or two that are in ag use. And we know what it's going to be. Uh, we know what our growth uh, is is going to be. Our our general plan and our our master plans are are getting simpler because it's limited what we can what we can need to plan for. Right. Um, so we're converting all these new projects over. will have to meet the ordinance. Their outside use should drop off dramatically. That'll offset some of our existing use. Um, we still want to keep you know the the community uh, that everyone knows Santa Clara to be. And so. It, I think it's a it's a good ordinance. We're we're going to come back and revisit it in about um, you know four to six months and maybe sooner. We're kind of watching what the legislature is doing with water. There's a lot of water activity up there, and so we're kind of paying attention to that. And if we need to come back and amend the ordinance, we will. But but uh, I was happy to get it approved last night um, and to be able to get it implemented on some of these new growth areas that are coming in the city. You know, it's it's interesting as you plan for the future of your city, uh, you have to plan that. Uh, I mean, we're in a drought. We're, we're in an, an extreme drought right now, but that doesn't mean we're going to be in a drought in five years, or seven years, or twenty years, or even two years, or even one year. And and so you have a, a lot. It seems like to me a lot of responsibility on your shoulders to. Uh, come up with contingency plans if the drought ends. And, and you mentioned flooding, and, and I mean, it's hard to think about flooding right now, as dry as it has been. But flooding is a reality. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a real issue, and we want uh, you know we're still looking at some of the improvements along the Santa Clara River and some of the you know the vegetation maintenance activities that we're we're working in accordance with flood control authority to get done. We've got some areas that still need to have some type of erosion protection put in place. Uh, we've got to monitor some of the areas that we've worked on in the past and, and be able to, you know, make sure that we maintain that. I think one of the problems we had in the 2005 flood was the, there was a real lack of, of maintenance activities that were happening in the river and we kind of turned our back on her and um, the vegetation grew in very dense um, the uh, with Gunlock Reservoir in place, you don't have the normal um, flood events, the smaller flood events that are really the channel forming events happening in the Lower Santa Clara River, mm. and uh, because of that, you, we have to do more to to keep that channel open so that we when we do get those um, large floods and and we see them. Um, it wasn't too many years ago that Gunlock Reservoir was overtopping and, and running down the river. So when we do get those events, that there's a place for the you know the river to be happy, and it's not wanting to come over and tear out people's yards and homes and farms, and destroy personal property and bridges, and result in massive damage like has happened in 2004 and 2010. And so we're uh, we're working that way. Um, we've got you know the, the landslide didn't happened that long ago we've still got a lot of homes that are up on top of that slope and so we're monitoring uh, groundwater up there in those areas and trying to minimize and monitor encroachments onto the hillsides trying to keep people back from the slope we don't want to have to mitigate another landslide as we did a few years ago so there yeah there's there's a lot of things that uh, you know we need to do to to make our community more resilient so that we're not seeing those federally declared disasters happening time and time again down there. 
Yeah, I know Snow Canyon High School, technically not in Santa Clara, but right by Santa Clara. A lot of the students are Santa Clara residents. They won the state championship last night, uh, Snow Canyon High bas- Boys Basketball. Uh, I guess a, a feeling, a celebratory feeling in, in Santa Clara area to, uh, last night and today. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, big time. It was great to see those kids go out and do well, uh, play up to their potential. Uh, Mayor Randall came to uh, the state of the city yesterday and, and came up to me, and I appreciated her being there, appreciated her support. She asked me if I wanted to make a, a wager on the game last night. <laughs> and so we did. And the loser has to bring pizza to the winner's city council meeting, has to deliver it herself. So we texted last night during the game, and uh, and uh, some of her staff was texting me what kind of pizza they wanted. And, <laughs> and I was telling them what kind of pizza I wanted, and it was it was great to see Snow Canyon boys pull it out. And next Wednesday night, Santa Clara City Council's getting delivered pizza, so Absolutely. it's just kind of a fun thing to happen between the two cities. Courtesy uh, of Mayor Randall, huh? <laughs> yeah, courtesy cool. of Mayor Randall. We appreciate you know all the hard work that those young men and and their coaches and their parents have put in all these years, and uh, congratulate them on a you know a great win last night. And we'll have the city council one of these days and, and congratulate them personally. And it's worth mentioning the core of that team, uh, a couple of juniors and a sophomore. We're going to be back next year, too. So yeah. uh, we've got to take a, a timeout. We're with Mayor Rosenberg, Santa Clara City. Uh, I'll take a timeout. We'll have more with him after this. And we'll take your phone calls at 673-5890 uh, if you want to text 435-467-5842. Let me thank Joe Shoney. He is a sponsor of the show, has been for quite a while. And, uh, boy, his reviews online are phenomenal. You go to experience.com and read about Joe Shoney with New American Funding, and you'll find that 611 reviews are in. And his average score is 4.9. That means that 95% of them are 5.0 reviews. It's Joe Shoney. Again, he's with New American Funding, and uh, he's a different kind of loan officer. He focuses on you, on customer service. Call him today at 435-590-6300. It's NMLS 121-041. Be right back. Welcome back to Mayor Thursday. Mayor Rosenberg from Santa Clara City with me via the telephone. And uh, appreciate Mayor Rosenberg giving up a little bit of his time today so we could have Chris Stewart on the air as well. Chris, in my mind, one of the good guys in government, as as is Mayor Rosenberg. Uh, Your day job is at what, Rosenberg & Associates? Is that the name of your company? Uh, Yes, sir. Uh, Civil engineers and land surveying in Washington County. You guys study soils and... uh, you know, we talk so much about the, the drought and, and how much water is in the soils and stuff. Does that cross your, your desk as well, the, the fact that the soils are really dry? Does that have an effect on your day job? Yeah, it does um, to a degree. It, the, you know, the soil moisture has a big impact on, on runoff, and so some of the, the localized flooding events that we kind of see happening every year now in the summertime the drier the soil, the less can go in. The more it's going to run off, the more flooding is going to result. Um, in Santa Clara's case, we see more impact from groundwater, um, water that's introduced into the soil via maybe you know your sprinkling system um, that flows down through the Santa Clara is underbedded by a clay layer, and so the water goes down to the clay and then kind of perches on top of that clay and can impact negatively because of the expansive clays that are down there and, 
And so there's kind of a history of that out in, you know, Santa Clara and Ivan's Bench, so a big portion of St. George as well. So, uh, yeah, soil has a big impact on what we do and how we do it. Heard so much talk about blue clay in southern Utah, but uh, I heard someone speak. Maybe it was you. I don't remember, but blue clay is is there. But there are actually other clays that are different colors or different consistencies that come into play here in southern Utah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We've got a you know a gray mudstone out by the airport that's caused some issues there for the new airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's you know I used to a kid that there were two kinds of soils in washington county there were there were bad soils and then there were really bad soils. <laughs> yeah each soil has you know different characteristics um, and we have uh, clays that expand we have um, clays or or uh, other soils that collapse when they get wet um, we have weak soils we have um you know, high groundwater levels, we have rock falls, we have all kinds of great stuff down here. If you're a, you know, an engineer deals with geologic hazards, um, you know, this is your playground. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, they influence how we build our buildings, they influence how we do our roads, bridges, um, everything. It's important that you understand the soils that are on a specific site and how to mitigate the potential, you know, risk of those soils to the project that you're trying to do. So, That's uh... um, Go back for a second to your part-time job. We're really short, only about three minutes or so left. I wanted to give you a chance to say anything else about Santa Clara that's kind of happening that, that uh, I know three minutes isn't much time, but maybe happening in Santa Clara that we should know about. Well, yeah. The, I mean, probably the thing that we're most excited about right now is the we're in the process of starting the fiber optic um, installation that's going to be fiber optic communications to every resident in the Utopia, city. yeah. Yeah, um, the UIA program is, is in place. The engineers are doing that design. Um, probably the most calls that I get now as mayor are, when's it going to be available? Hmm. Um, people want to know when they're going to be able to hook up to it. They uh, they want to get the increased upload and download speeds. And so there's a lot of excitement going out there about that right now. Um, we've hired some new staff recently. I want to give them a shout-out. We hmm. have a, a new a new city planner, Jim McNulty, a new building inspector, Cody Mitchell, and just hired a new fire chief, um, the Andrew Parker, uh, who is, uh, we're excited to get him on board, and so we've had some changeover in our senior staff out there, and we're excited about the direction that it's going. Um, we're continuing to, you know, to expand the city power system. Um, you know, we talk about shortage of water a lot, but one of my real concerns is power and the effects of um, you know climate change on power reliability and on power source and when we have these um, like the ice storm in texas last year the fires that limited the solar in california the year before and the tremendous spikes in power costs that hit the market where if you were the city was buying power on the open market the cost you paid was was you know up to 10 times more than what you were expecting and the impacts that has the reserve funds the fact that most of santa clara and st george is on a dead end line if we have a significant fire on pine valley mountain that takes out that line coming down from central you're going to be looking at uh, blackouts down here for an extended period of time so there's some risk there and we want to try and develop more resiliency in, in those risks as we can moving forward santa clara just purchased two additional 
you know, generators, we're going to be able to generate about nine wet megawatts, which is a little under half of our peak summer load uh, in town. So if we have some of those issues, we can control our costs to some degree and still be able to provide residents power. So we're trying to, you know, to, to keep the service going out there, to keep the lights on, same time keep water out of the tap. Um, and, you know, there's a, a lot that has to happen beside the scenes to, to make that happen. Boy, that's a boy. A great point on the uh, on the power situation, and uh, you know that's one of those things. The average resident doesn't really think about it. That's why we have guys like you out there, so you can think about that hard stuff, Rick. Uh, we've uh, we've used up our our uh, half hour. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited for Santa Clara. Uh, I think it's a, a really vital and important and and fun part of Southern Utah. Thank you, Mayor. You bet. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate the time. 9.59 on KDX. We've got Open Line Friday, if I still have a voice, fingers crossed, uh, at 9 o'clock. And uh, we'll take your calls. Again, thanks to Chris Stewart and Mayor Rosenberg from Santa Clara. We'll talk to you all in the morning. <laughs>